Okay, so hello everybody. So good to see you guys. Um, we are in middle of chapter five and what we are discussing, of course, is like a bunch of things that are layered on top of each other, but I'm gonna map out for you the trajectory again so we can have it clear in our brain of like what we're heading towards and what we're doing. The, the, we started off the chapter talking about, I'm going to go back even more than last week, um, talking about this concept of um, kares, which is this punishment that happens um, from certain transgressions. So really, really serious transgressions. There's this um, consequence. It's almost like a natural consequence. And the reason why it's a natural consequence is what we're learning now. We're like, we're figuring out like, why does this happen when you do these things? So there's kares and there's, um, I forget the exact wording. It's like your life cutting short. And one, one thing you, you die by age 50. And the second thing you die by age 60, we kind of just mentioned it. And then in order for us to really understand, like, what are we talking about? We went, we went into a few different directions. So we first talked about the fact that God uses the, the act of breath to enliven our soul, right? Everything else is brought about through the action of speech, but our soul is through breath, okay? It's very important, the distinction, because breath is something that is a much deeper connection right and um because breath is deeper the you, breath can be obstructed right like if you try to breathe through a wall you're not going to really get anywhere but you could speak through a wall like if you talk really loud you could hear someone through a wall right and so we use this analogy that just like breath you can't you know can't go through obstruction so too your your connection with god and your soul like it could be obstructed so there's a lot of things that we have to figure out because number one we know that god is everywhere and everything so what do you mean that there's something that can obstruct your connection and what the altar Rebbe wants to really teach us is that there's one thing and one thing only that can obstruct your connection with God. And what is that? The breath. Sin. Sin, right? The one thing that's just going to disconnect you from God is transgressions. Because transgressions are opposite of what God wants from you. So yes, God is everywhere. Yes, he's everything. But he created the world in a way that there is obstruction. Why? Why? Okay, this is the age old like conundrum. But we also know that he put us here with free choice, right? We need to have free choice. Why do we need to have free choice? Because God wants us to choose him. He didn't create a world full of angels right? He has angels. He doesn't need the world for that. He didn't create a world full of righteous, perfect people, right? That's cool to have a few of them, but that's not interesting for God. That's kind of boring, right? What he created was humans with two opposing souls that want two opposing things. 
And our purpose here in the world is to overcome our impulse for self-gratification and mon mundane and animalistic things and choose God, right? In order for that to happen, there has to be negativity. There has to be a choice, right? There has to be something that goes against God's will. Now, obviously, um, let me just make sure that I... Yeah, so um, what we left off last class saying is that we need to understand where this evil comes from because we know, right, we are very well versed in the first four and a half chapters of Egeris Hachuva and we know that there's nothing outside of God. We've spent a lot of time discussing that, right? So what, where does this evil come from? If there's nothing outside of God, but there's something that negates God or does the opposite of him, where does this evil come from? And um, Carrie very wisely said, well, I know where it comes from, right? It comes from the backside of God, right? Because we, we've discussed this, but it's very, very important to um, recognize that evil, yes, it comes from God, but it comes from the place of God that gets the least amount of energy. Like it's a, it's, it's a reluctant enlivening. Like it gets its energy reluctantly from God, but it has to come from God because there's nothing outside of God. So there's this whole category of things and energies that receive its energy from the backside of God. And that is the energy that allows us to think that we are separate and to think that we should make choices that are outside of God, right? And when we do so, when we buy into this idea of other, God created us, right? We've talked about this, but this is the craziest thing. It's so hard for our brain to wrap around. God created humans and he can hide himself so deeply that he can create humans that deny him they come from him but they deny him only god can pull something that off like that so if, if we decide to be a human that denies god or denies the involvement of god in our life or doesn't think that god really wants us to do what he says he wants us to do then we're buying into this idea of separateness okay and so when we buy into this idea of separateness then we transgress and then you know the prophecy kind of comes true and then we just then we're disconnected now when we're disconnected um i think i said this last week but i'm going to remind you that God is indeed found everywhere, right? The disconnection which occurs through sin does not mean God's presence has departed. Rather, it means that the person is unable to receive it, okay? So when we choose to do our thing, right, which sometimes isn't godly, we create this environment that doesn't allow us to connect to God, but God doesn't depart. He doesn't leave because, or else 
we wouldn't exist, right? He just, it just makes it really hard for us to tap into that connection. Okay. Now that's kind of, I added a few new things, but that's kind of a, of a review from, from where we were. Any questions before we continue? No? Okay. We're good. So when, um, so this concept of evil, right? We, we really, really, this is going to be a struggle, right? We don't, especially when we, um, are experiencing what we're experiencing now. It's really, really hard to reconcile evil, the purpose of it, where God is in all of it, right? But in Nagarasa Chuba, right now we're focusing when we on the evil inside of us, right? The separateness inside of us. We're not going to have answers to why Hashem allowed such a degree of evil in the world, um, which we've just experienced. Like we're not going to have answers to that, and we keep and I keep I will keep reminding you that we're not supposed to understand that. God forbid we should ever understand such evil. That would be not okay. <coughs> yes. You're talking about what's happening to us in Israel? Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't think that comes from the backside of him? It has to. It has to. Well, remember what we said last, I think it was last week, right? That God doesn't create evil. He creates the potential for evil. Right. So God created the potential for a human to make those kinds of choices. Did God put that into the world? Absolutely not. But he put the potential for it to exist. And some people, some humans, and I don't know, they're definitely not acting like humans, but some humans are choosing to use their capabilities and their faculties to perpetrate extremely evil things. Now, God has it's even hard for me to say this, but there is no other choice. Like God is allowing it to happen, right? Or else it wouldn't happen. So God isn't making it happen. He's allowing for it to happen. Why God is allowing for something like this to happen. I hope no one has answers for you. I hope no one is going to tell you, yeah, this is happening because dot, 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 dot. We should never understand such evil. God does not want us to understand such evil. God wants us to scream out and cry out in pain and be angry with him when he decides to treat us this way. But what it, but what it does do, it does, it, and you can see what's going on in the world. It's not a, but, but what happens is, is that our souls are getting awakened, right? Our souls are crying from, from, from what's happening right now. We're so, craving God. Yeah. And we're like, you know, I was just sitting, I forget, I was spacing out, I don't know, maybe in some of my delirious, um, sick <laughs> induced thoughts. Um, but I was thinking like, I'm sure a lot, all of us have a lot of different kinds of thoughts, um, going through our head and there's no shame in any of the thoughts that you might be having. And one of the thoughts I was having is like, what, have, what would it feel like if after something like this, I decided to not believe in God, right? Like, how could this happen? Like, how could a God do this? I don't believe in God. And, and wh where my thoughts took me, it was like, can you imagine 
I couldn't imagine not believing in God because like, if there is nothing higher than me and no higher power, you know how much scarier that is that there's no, like just things happen by chance. And there's like no rhyme or reason to what happens in the world. And there's no higher power. Like that to me is so much scarier. So I'm not saying that our relationship with God isn't complicated and we should have a lot of questions. I very, very much advocate for that. You should have a lot of questions and we should not be okay with what's happening. But when I think about the alternative of people who, who have to witness such things and don't believe in God, where do they draw their comfort from? Like, where do they get any measure of peace if there's nothing to like, um, to like release that responsibility? Like, they at probably point, don't have it. They probably don't at have some that. Point we have to say God, like we don't have the answer, so we really, really hope that God does, right? But can you imagine not having that place to put the burden? I can't imagine. So, I'm not saying we're going to have all the answers of, with God. I'm not saying that He. I did. I tell you. Did I tell you my nephew story? I have to tell you my nephew story. I might have, might have told it a few weeks ago, but. It's such a good story that I have to tell you again. So right when this whole situation in Israel started happening, my sister who lives in Kalispell um, has a five-year-old son who's something else. Um, and she was telling him, um, you know, there's a war in Israel and we have to daven and give extra tzedakah and really like, um, you know, pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel. They're not safe, right? Like it's very scary. So my nephew goes, who's in charge of this? Who's in charge of this? And my sister just like, and he's, and then he answered his own question. He's like, God, God's in charge of this. He's not making good choices from a five-year-old. No, but he's really smart. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. So this is, it's like from the mouth of babes. Like they really get it. God, God, you're in charge of this. You're not making good choices. Sorry, we don't we don't accept your choices right now. Um, so that's where I'm going with that. But when we um, talk about evil, I feel like it's so loaded because there's like I, in my my community Tanya class, the question was like, okay, we understand the reason for evil, but why does it have to be that evil? Like, can't there be like a cutoff of how evil the world can get? Right. I don't have answers for that. I don't understand why there has to be such evil in the world. But what we do know and what we do understand, and if you have insight, please share. But what we do know is that evil needs to exist, number one. And number two, it comes from the backside of God. Nothing exists in this world without God's permission. Okay, so um, even though evil and transgressions and sin will separate us from God, we, we, it still comes from him. Yeah. You're with me. Your last sentence. I didn't uh, quite get, even though so, evil, so the evil, we know that it has separate. to come from God, right? It comes from his backside, but it still comes from him. Right. 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 But if we choose to tap into the evil, if we choose to transgress, it's going oh. to separate us from God 
even though it comes from God. Okay. Right? Make sense? It, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but that's but that's how it works. Um, so when remember the the infamous, I call it the infamous. It's my least favorite thing to talk about. But remember the like the Yod K Vav K, the Havaya of God, right? Which represents our like our our soul is a direct connection to the four letters of God that creates the world. Remember all of that stuff? So um, the, the four letters of the name of God is a seamless sequence from the tip of the Yud. Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that you're on camera. From the tip of the Yud to the lowest tip of the last K. Okay? So, Havaya represents the 10 faculties, the 10, um, I forgot how I want to translate spheros, the 10 attributes of God, right? All the way from Chachma Das, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, the intellectual capacities, and then we have the, all the emotional capacities. Okay, I'm actually going to draw a little diagram here. Um, so we have the Yud, we have the Hey, we have the Vav, and we have the Hey. Okay, so all of kind of all of this represents the faculties, but the tip of the Yud represents Kesser, and I'm going to tell you what that is, and the end of the Hey represents Malchus. Okay, so Kesser is the supernal will. Okay, supernal will is not is, is the not tangible part of God right? So it starts off with the will of God, right? Your will is not something that's tangible and you can't really explain it, right? If you ever have like a super duper weird craving and someone asks you, why do you want that? What are you going to answer? Because I want it. I don't know. Like, you want me to explain to you why I have this big, huge craving for some kind of weird food or whatever it is? Like, you don't, you can't explain that. You just want it, right? So God desired for there to be a world, right? That's his innermost supernal will. You don't ask questions on a craving. You don't ask questions on a desire, right? It's it's too untangible. You can't like really grasp it. So the tip of the yud represents God's supernal will that's not tangible. Then it becomes more and more and more tangible. It goes from chachma right? Which is that flash of inspiration, which is something that's teeny tiny, like you can grasp it for a second, but then it goes away, right? Which then goes to Bina, which is a bigger, you know, which is a contemplation, which is a bigger understanding, then Da'as, which is an uh, internalization. And then it goes to all the emotional attributes till it ends with Malchus at the end, which is actualization. That's when all those things turn into action. So you go from that tipmost, not tangible part of God to actualization. What happens when we sin? We cut off God right from the tip. That's it. You cut him off. That's not over kid. here, not over here, not over here. Right from the tippy top, you cut him off. 
okay? So that's a very big deal. What we're trying to say is that it's not like you're gonna get a little, you know, like you're gonna get a little bit of him and maybe you can maneuver around this disconnection, right? Like when you transgress, that disconnection happens from the tip. And then all those faculties are being affected. Meaning those can't be infused with God because you cut him off from the top, from his untangible supernal will. You cut him off with your sin. Okay. We're going to get into it more. We're going to obviously not every sin is, is the same amount of disconnect. And we're going to get to that in a second about exactly how that works. And um, remember we're, we're connecting it to the rope. So it's going to help us understand how this works. Okay. So when a person acts contrary to God's will, right, he, he, he stops, he hinders the name from being written from the beginning, right? It's just being cut off from the tip, from the point of the yud, right? And without Havaya, without that existence, it's really, really, really hard to, for us to be able to exist. Okay. So, um, that's why evil is equated with death and destruction because you're, it's literally that it's it's literally a death and destruction. And I'm going to jump ahead for a second. And I'm going to tell you that in the time of the temple, when our soul was completely getting its energy directly from God. Now it's a little bit different when we live in the diaspora, but when we, when it was in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, if somebody got kares, um, they literally died. They literally died. Why? Um, because kares, um, it's, it's really not a punishment. It's something that naturally follows after sin, right? It's in an, it's an inevitable natural consequence, right? Um, the apparatus that's carrying the flow is damaged. So the flow stops, then you're dead, right? If you can't get the flow from God, if your flow from God is directly coming from that spiritual source, if you cut off that source, you don't continue to live. And that's actually what happened in the times of the temple. It does not happen now, okay? But, um, and I jumped ahead because that, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute, but I just wanted to prove that. Well, to, to, sorry. One second. Um, when we're in Mashiach times, will that all come back? No, because we're not going to sin when Mashiach comes. So when Mashiach comes, it's going to be the ultimate like utopia where we are going to not have our Yetzirah. We're not going to have that fight anymore. We're not going to have that constant battle of impulse control and always having to choose God. Like that's our reward for having done that already. So what will come back is that immense spiritual connection, but we won't necessarily, we won't have reward and punishment because there will be no sin. Now I'm not an expert in the times of Mashiach, but I know there's different stages. I don't know, like, how quickly that stage happens. I don't know if that happens right away or if it's like a gradual thing that happens. Um, I'm not sure. I can try to find out. Um, 
Mashiach is a topic that's really overwhelming to me. Like it starts to like really make me kind of panic because it's so unknowable. So I just believe in Mashiach, but I'm like, uh, when it happens, I will, I will just, it, I, 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 it will happen. I don't have to know everything about it before it comes. Um, but there are people who really, I, my husband might know, who have more knowledge of like the different stages and how that, how all of that works. But inherently, the point of Mashiach is the utopia, right? That we're not going to sin and we're definitely not going to be like having kares and dying off with disconnection because it's going to be not possible to disconnect from God because he's going to be super visible. Like he's not going to be hiding from us anymore, right? It's just going to be there. He's out in the open, right? So if that answers your question. We're going to be one with God, right? I mean, we already are one with God, but we're actually going to but be visually, able to like, like see it. Physically. It's not going to be like yeah. we have to use every ounce of our faith and our and our commitment to God to 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 connect to that idea. It's going to be like, obviously, like, don't you see? Right now we have to take it at God's word because we don't see that. And he created a world where we're super everything's super separate like everything seems like it has its own identity and its own existence but we know because we learn that that's not the case but it, it takes a lot of faith and a lot of trust to 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 connect to that idea mashiach comes it's going to be obvious right and the other nations are going to see it too right not just the jews it's going to be obvious to the whole world what's what's really going on right it's like the curtains are going to be peeled back from from the the many layers of hidden you know that god put himself behind in this world okay so um so this is marjorie can i just ask a quick question what sure, about our conscience don't i think all of us have some sort of conscience um and if when we do something that we shouldn't we feel bad about it so maybe some people have a stronger conscience and other people don't. For sure. For sure. Um, and that's something that you can also develop. The more in tune you become with God, the higher con conscience you grow. And it makes you more uncomfortable to go against him. Sometimes I feel like it's not really even for some people, it's not even a conscious or not conscious. It's a, it's an awareness and a not awareness. Like, some people don't even realize that what they're doing is disconnecting them from God. It's like, uh, they don't even know it's, it's, it's an, you're not aware, but the more you learn and the more you expose yourself to God, the more you become aware and the harder it is to just make these flippant decisions of disconnection. That's the point of why we learn, right? It's thank you for bringing that up, that up because it just to remind us, like, why do we even spend time learning this stuff? Right. It's not, always so practical like but what the point is is that we are getting we're, we're we're garnering a sensitivity to god right we're understanding him as best as we can he's sharing with us like how the world works how do you connect how do you disconnect and the more you become aware of these you know the inner workings of how god works the more you know how how everything works the less ignorant you can be when you choose to sin or disconnect and you're like oh i actually know what happens when i do this yikes maybe i shouldn't do it right it gives us pause so the more we know the more 
we get to think about and make informed decisions. Like, is this 10 minutes of self-gratification or this 10 minutes of this delicious whatever I want to do? Is it worth my disconnection? Is it worth it? And because we know now, like, how severe or how, like, scary that disconnection can be, maybe we choose to do it less. You know what? We're human. And sometimes we can decide, yeah, that 10 minutes of disconnection is, that 10 minutes of pleasure is totally worth the disconnection because we're still humans and we still have a really strong evil inclination that's going to convince us it's not such a big deal. Don't worry, you'll get it back. Or don't worry, it's not that bad, right? We have a very overactive evil inclination. So don't get down on yourself when you when you choose to disconnect. But also at the same time, we are tasked with learning as much as we can, right? And so maybe the more we know, the less we choose to do it. Because if you know something, if you know the damage that something causes, you probably will do it less. You're not gonna stop doing it. We're not tzaddikim, right? Most of us are not even abandoning yet. We're just trying. We're just trying to get there. But but at least we we have more knowledge and at least we probably will choose it less because we know what's actually happening when we do it, right? And that's why we, we learn. Not because like, oh my gosh, this is super practical or not because it's like the most exciting thing to learn right now. Like sometimes this is intense stuff, but but we find like, I find it to be in the end super practical because I, I feel connected to this idea of like, the more, you know, the more you understand the inner workings the more you understand the details, the more informed you are and the better decisions you end up making. Right. And remember the Hashem and the Tanya and the altar, but doesn't expect perfection. And I'm going to tell this to you almost every class to remind you, if God expected perfection, would he create a book that says, this is how you return right? If we were supposed to be perfect, that means we're never supposed to disconnect, which means there never should be a, a book about return to begin with. But no, we're not perfect. Most of us will never be perfect. So we um, get to learn this and we get to understand that we are going to disconnect and we are so lucky to have the ability to reconnect. And that's what this is all about. Yes, Carrie. I totally agree that this is what it's all about because that's the whole point is for right. us to reconnect, reconnect. return. That's yeah. what God wants. Exactly. Yeah. And but what sometimes I, like people can think of like this book of repentance as like this big, scary, like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about all the negativity, but I think for the most part, we do talk about some darker stuff, but for the most part, it's been such an uplifting and positive experience in the sense that like, oh my gosh, like Hashem loves us so much. Like he, he is holding our hand the whole entire way. And even if we mess up, he's like telling us exactly what to do to reconnect to him. And it ends up really, really enhancing our relationship with God and understanding how deep that love and that connection goes and um, really has been, in my experience, what I've gained from it, it's been an uplifting, positive um, 
experience, not like a doom and gloom, scary, like, don't you dare sin because this is what's going to happen. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know how we totally got off on that tangent, but it was a good one. I have, <laughs> well, um... But I had a question. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Carrie, Carrie and then Barbara. So the question was to me, the altar Rebbe who wrote the Tanya, how is it that he knows all these things about the connection and the cord and the worlds and all those things? How does he know that? How did yeah. he know that? So they're called like the secrets of the Torah, right? So they're based on Kabbalah, which the altar was in the 1700s. The Kabbalah, I think we know about it starting in the maybe the 1400s. And so there's these, these like big esoteric, you know, volumes that are like super, you know, the super secrets of the Torah. And before the Alter Rebbe, you weren't really able to study it. Like it was too lofty and only really, really, really great rabbis and people over a certain age were able to even like dip their toe in it. Along came the Baal Shem Tov and then the Alter Rebbe and made those esoteric concepts of God, uh, uh, applicable and and digestible to the lay person. So these are all part of the Torah. They're the they're they're the hidden parts of the Torah that have now become revealed and exposed and expressed um, to the masses. So, so Hashem the put them there. Hashem yeah, put them yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He himself, he is the Torah. He wrote the Torah before. He created us. He wrote those. He wrote the Tanya, basically. Uh, yeah, he used, I mean, he uses um, different great rabbis to reveal and express those those thoughts. But it's all it's all Torah. It's God. Okay. Right? I did not yeah? know that. Amazing, right? Oh, amazing. <laughs> wow. All right, Barbara, what's your question? Well, it's also possible in reverse, like we develop a conscience by learning, but if you look, unfortunately, Hamas starts poisoning their own children from, you know, from babies, you know, to hate and that kind of thing. So it works both ways. Yeah, I mean, you could use that's a that's the way Hashem created the world. Like you can yeah. use any power for good or for bad. It says he there's equal good and there's equal bad, and it depends it depends on what you channel. Like like black magic, black magic exists. Like there is very 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 questionable like scary forces out there that eat pe people who are you know, not godly can harness and use. God put those energies into the world. We're not supposed to use them, right? But but it exists, right? Because there are those energies in the world. So there, you know, if, can you imagine if like the leader of Hamas, who's able to convince the masses to follow him and be, to inflict such evil in this world, can you imagine if he used that power for good what he would be able to accomplish unfortunately he didn't do that but whatever like look inside yourself right your qualities like i always say i have this philosophy 
and I'm sure I didn't make it up, but everyone's best quality is their worst quality. If you look at yourself, you're like, what am I the best at? That's going to be the thing that also gets you into the most trouble because all your qualities can either be harnessed for the good or harnessed for the bad, right? So that's, that's the way Hashem created the world. So we get to choose, right? Take social media. You can do amazing things with social media. This Tanya class started through social media. Beautiful, right? But you can also use social media for very, very bad things. So everything in this world, you mo like we, we discussed within the first book of Tanya, right? Like 99% of the world is created with a neutral energy. You get to decide with whatever you come in contact with, are you going to elevate that energy to holiness or are you going to demote it to unholy? Nothing stays neutral. Everything is created neutral, but depending on what you do, how you interact with it, you're going to either elevate it or you're going to demote it, right? And that's how the world is. So we can use powers for the good and you can use all those powers for the bad. Does that answer your question or, you know, confirm your thoughts? Um, so, uh, okay. This is Marjorie. I just wanted to mention, you know, I think a lot of those people in Gaza were brain, they're brainwashed. For um, sure. And, and Muslims, they don't have the 10 commandments, you know, for them, it's okay to do some of these terrible things. Um, I would disagree with that because we all, they all have, the seven Noahide laws and you are not allowed to murder. That's that's is that is that in the Muslim religion? Yes. It's it's yeah, it I don't know exactly what the Muslim religion, but it's God decided that everybody has to follow these seven laws. Whether you ascribe to it or not, I don't know. But no, the Muslims are they're not allowed to murder. Now they have leaders who convince them that it's a holy it's a holy murder, right? It's for whatever, whatever's going to happen, you know, it's for whatever crazy reasons they decide. But no, there's no justification for murder um, for anybody. If you're a human, you're not allowed to murder. Well, there was a lot of um, social psychology books written in the late 40s and early 50s analyzing how how did Hitler brainwash the German people? And this is the exact same Oh, it's thing. the exact same thing. Hamas, propaganda. Yeah. Right. That Hamas is using the same techniques and they, they start <clears throat> um, um, instructing the children. Yeah, it, starts, it has to start from a really, really young age. Yeah. Um, guys. It's already almost 8.15. I don't know how that happened. So let's just get a little bit more done. And then we're <laughs> going to wrap up because I'm Mike. Mike told myself, I'm like, I'm not going overtime this week. That's my goal. But I don't know. I'm not sure I can keep to it. But um, okay, at least let's just wrap up this concept that. Um, so when a person breaches the divine will, right? What happens? He introduces a flaw into his divine soul and, and corrodes and affects this cord. Remember that rope we talked about last week? This cord of vitality that connects him to God, right? Um, when the severance becomes total, 
that's when the cord snaps and that's curries. So there are sins that nick the cord, right? There are sins that just blemish the cord. And then there are sins that sever the cord. When, it, when, when somebody transgresses a sin that severs the cord, that's when curries happen. That's when complete disconnection happen. Now, um, the fact that a person can sin and then continue to live um, really demonstrates like the, this, the complexity of this issue, right? You cannot say that a person's sin causes total disconnect and severance because then anybody who would sin would cease to exist physically as well as spiritually, right? Because if anything lacks the presence of God, then it's just not possible for it to exist, right? It's impossible to be for anything to be totally severed and have zero connection to God and, and still exist. Okay. So if anything was mutually exclusive to God's, to the divine, then in its very essence, it wouldn't be allowed to exist. So this is how we know that Everything is a everything that exists is a mixture of God's front side and his back side. Right? Everything that exists is a mixture of desired and not desired. Because nothing is just one or the other, or it would be way more black and white. Right? Us living or dying, existing and not existing would be super black and white, but because God created the world with a lot of gray, right? There's a lot of, well, there's this and there's, like we just said before, you can either do this with this or you could do that with that, right? You can either use it for the good or you could use it for the bad. So because nothing is completely devoid of godliness, even the evil, there has to be a little God, even in the evil, that's what allows us to keep living physically, even though we might have disconnected spiritually from God. Does that that's make sense? Only, that's only for the Jews, right? Yes and no. Jews are a different category because we have a divine soul and, and non-Jews do not have a divine soul. But non-Jews also have the ability to do good right? They still have, they still have to be connected to God or else they would also not exist. Okay. Right. It, they're still living and existing under God's will. So that's what we mean when there's this mixture of front side and backside. So even though non-Jews don't have a godly soul, they're still getting their energy and their vitality from God, whether it's from the front side or the backside. They just don't know it. Right. And, but there are non-Jews who are more tapped in, right? And they can connect to God in a way that is, is very spiritual. And they're called the Hasidei Umosa Olam, the, forget how to translate that. Righteous Gentiles. 
My oh. husband's in the background. He just told me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you do it from home. You get a little birdie and help you out. I should do this more often. <laughs> um, so, so that, so there, that's a possibility for a, a Gentile to behave in a godly way, even without a godly soul, right? If you're a Gentile that follows the seven Noahide laws, you are fulfilling your purpose in this world. You are connecting to God in the way that God has this designated for you. Yeah, but you're talking about a proselyte now, right? No, any, oh, any no? Gentile. Okay. Oh, yeah. any Gentile. Okay. Yeah. If he follows, if he lives a moral and ethical life and follows the seven Noahide laws, he's doing exactly what God wants of him. He's fulfilling God's mission in his in the world by doing that. Now, lucky Jews get 613 commandments over seven. So we have a much harder time doing what we're supposed to do and fulfilling our mission because we have a lot more obligations, right? So when it says we're the chosen people, um, it comes with a lot of res mostly responsibility, right? It's much easier to do God's will and connect to him and fulfill your mission in life as a Gentile because there's not that many rules and regulations. But when you're a Jew, you get a lot more, you get a lot more opportunities for a connection, but you also get a lot more responsibilities. It's almost okay. like we're different humans. You know? Yeah, I mean, we have a very we're so different, different experience. Yeah, we have a different experience, and we're definitely tasked with with. That's why, why, like, especially you see it now, like the everything we're saying, like the Jews, we are our job is to be a light onto the nation. So no matter what's happening, and no matter what we've been put through, we are still tasked with the job of bringing light. Right, like we have that responsibility. That's what God created us for to transform the world into a godly place to make darkness into light. And so now, like, I mean, it's all the time, but especially now, even through this darkness, even though we are the ones that are being persecuted, we are not allowed to succumb and stoop to that level. We have to rise above and we are, even the world expects it from us, right? Don't fight back, right? Like, you know, you have, we, we are held to the standard of like, you, we, we know better, right? We know, we see, like, we are the ones that um, have to live in a godly way, no matter what. Um, okay, so what time is it? Okay, I have a few more minutes. Um, so, kares happens when an individual acts completely contrary to God's will, right? Which is articulated in the Torah, like what he should and shouldn't be doing, right? Um, and he basically excises himself from that connection to that inner divine will. However, he can still be bound at least for a period of time, maybe not forever, and receive some level of vitality from the external aspect of God, right? Like everything else in the world. Remember, just like everything else in the world gets its vitality from speech, right? Which is the external will of God. And so when sin, it's not as easily obstructed, right? Everything else in the world doesn't get as easily obstructed because it's not as sensitive as the soul, right? So when a person 
does a sin to the extent that he deserves kares, he's disconnecting himself from the internal um, vitality, from that, that breath vitality of God, but he can still exist because he still gets some energy from the external will of God, right? Remember we said last class that as a human, we receive energy from both parts of God, from the internal and the external. So if you're cutting off the internal like pipeline of energy, the person can still exist at least for some time just with the external energy, okay? So this is when this is where we're going to come back to that concept that when a person's vitality only comes from the side of holiness, which was the case in the times of the temple, if a person would sin to that extent that he deserved kares, he would die immediately because he had no external vitality. He was only getting his vitality from holiness. So when that was cut off, he ceased to exist. Because but he now, was holy? That's not how it works. Now we get our energy from the external part of God and the internal. So if a person's going to sin and deserve kares, he's not going to physically die immediately because he still has some energy coming from God, albeit it's external. Okay? Because he's not completely holy. Because he's not completely holy. Right? He's not only getting his, his life force from holiness he's getting it also from the backside of god or the external part of god wow so the holy ones get more punished if you will yeah exactly right the holy the holier you are the, the more, more he sensitive you are to god the less tolerance there is for disconnection and sin Right. You're refining yourself. The more the holier you get, the more refined you are, which means there's no room for transgression. Yes. So that was like in the times of the temple, the Jews were that right. They were more like the temple. Godliness was was way more revealed. So so even the humans were more sensitized to God. So if they were to disconnect, which, by the way, was not common. Right. This is not a common thing. But if someone would sin to that extent, they would literally die because there was no other form of life for him. There was no external life force. There was just the internal life force. So the holier we get, the scarier it is for us. <laughs> the more God expects from you, right? The, right. It's, like, it's like a child, right? The older they are. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. But And the more... Um, mature they are, and the more they know and understand, you expect more from them, right? You don't expect the same thing from a five-year-old and a 15-year-old. So same for you. Like the more you grow in your in your awareness and in your godliness and in your connection, the more God expects from you. But that's okay, because that comes with a lot of perks too. But but that's the reality, right? Like you like uh a tzaddik is hold to a much higher standard than than a bainani or that or anybody else because he doesn't have an excuse. What's your excuse to separate from God when you like are so connected, right? Um, so what we're going to end off saying that, and then we'll continue next class. We'll we'll elaborate on the idea, but even a transgression 
that's not punishable by kares creates an obstruction, an empty space between the sinner and God. Okay? So we focused on kares here, but any sin, even if it's not as bad as a sin that causes kares, does separate you from God. It does cause a disconnection. Okay? But it's a partial severance. And it harms a particular part of your connection. And what, that's what we're going to um, elaborate on next week. I'm going to give you a little hint that the rope that connects us between us and God is made up of, it's not just one, one string. It's made up of 613 strands. Okay. So the area on which you transgress, that's the part of the rope that gets weakened. So, right. So there's types of sins that cut the whole rope and it's done. And then there are sins, most sins, which just affect one particular part of your connection. So even if you're not punishable by death, you are still creating a separation between you and God in a particular spot in your relationship. It's not complete. And that's what we'll talk about more next week. Okay. So any questions before we meditate? No? Okay. We're going to meditate. You're going to like let everything kind of just settle. And then if there's questions after, you'll let me know. Okay. Okay. So keep your eyes open for a second. Take a deep breath. And an exhale. Now, as you inhale, gently close your eyes. And exhale. We'll do a few rounds of this and I'm gonna remind you what we're trying to accomplish with our inhale and our exhale. Okay, our inhale, we wanna open up our heart center. We wanna remember, remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that when you're breathing, God is breathing with you, right? Your breath is God's breath. Very, very powerful. When you exhale, let any negative energy, anything that's holding you back, just let it out. Okay. We're going to do a few rounds of this on your own, but that's the intention I want you to think about when you inhale and you exhale. Okay. Inhale. And exhale. Inhale. And exhale. Two more, inhale, and exhale, inhale, and exhale. Let your breath just kind of fall into its natural rhythm. And I'm going to read you a Hasidic thought from the Tanya so that we can think about. When a person follows the paths of Torah, he draws upon himself a holy supernal spirit, as the verse states, until a spirit from on high is poured upon us. But when a person perverts his ways, he draws upon himself another spirit from the sitra achra, the backside, which is the side of impurity. So basically, we have a choice, right? Hashem created us with free choice. We get to decide. 
we follow the path of Torah, then we get the Holy Supernal Spirit. And if we choose to follow the path of negativity or Sitra Achra, the backside of God, then that's the kind of energy that we bring upon ourselves. Just take a minute and think about what we discussed today. How does this impact you and your relationship with Hashem? Again, there's no right or wrong answer. It doesn't even have to be positive if it's not positive. Like if you're still working this through, that's okay. But how does it affect your life to know how completely connected we are to Hashem to the point of it is so powerful and the disconnection is so powerful. If we choose to go against God's will, how powerful that disconnection is. The disconnection shows us the strength of our connection, right? It just depends on how you look at it. So just let that sit with that for a minute. How are you going to practically apply this to your life? Bring your attention back to your breath. We'll do three more rounds of our inhale, exhale. Inhale. God is with you with every breath. Exhale. Let it all go. Anything that's causing you doubt or pain, or anger. Inhale. And exhale. Inhale. And exhale. Become more aware of your senses, your smell, your sensations come back to where you are sitting and when you're ready you can gently open your eyes i did it 8 31 guys <laughs> okay um any questions after meditation yeah why did you make this one so hard the meditation or the class no, the class. Oh, God. <laughs> oh wow. I'll be thinking. I, it's, it not all my night. Fault. it's not my I'll fault. Be I'm thinking. just doing, I'm just trying to teach what I don't mean hard. I don't mean hard. I mean very powerful, is what I meant. Um, yeah, it's a lot very to think about, powerful. right? It's, wow. it's, it's intense. It's intense. <laughs> um, but we can handle it. Um, Okay, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, as, as always, if anything comes up during the week, you know how to reach me. And um, we'll see you again next week. Gonna Thanks stop God. the recording.